Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our series, A Well-Researched Christmas, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, The Importance of Mary. So let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Among evangelical Christians, to say that Mary is important, highly valued, is considered as the most blessed woman in history, well, it seems strange to some of us. See, some of us have reacted to a theology of Mary in the Catholic world that simply has no foundation in Scripture. You know, in the Catholic world, Mary was a virgin all of her life, and she was sinless. And this reaction to Catholicism has caused a great many evangelicals to ignore Mary. And in truth, there isn't a lot about Mary in the Bible. She is mentioned in the birth narratives of Jesus and then not a lot of other times. So she's mentioned when Jesus turns the water into wine. She's mentioned once when she and the rest of her children are there to talk to Jesus. And, you know, if you'll recall, Jesus asks, who is my mother and who are my brothers and sisters? And he then says that whoever does the will of his father in heaven, well, that's my mother and brother and sisters. So in that sense, we find that Jesus assigns Mary a place among his other disciples. And the only other place we encounter her in the gospel accounts is when John mentions her in John chapter 19. She was one of the witnesses to her son's crucifixion and how heartbreaking that must have been. The very last time Mary is mentioned is in Acts 1 verse 14, where she's among the believers in Jesus who have gathered in Jerusalem awaiting the coming of the Holy Spirit. And there we see her as one of the disciples, a follower, a believer in her son and in her Lord, Jesus. And so rightfully, many evangelicals stress that Mary in the Bible is never the object of our faith. Rather, she is a fellow believer in Jesus. While that's most definitely the case still, one can't help but read the first two chapters of Luke and not think, that Mary as a follower of Jesus does have a very significant place, a place of honor and importance in the story of our faith. So let's come back to our study in Luke, a series I've entitled A Well-Researched Christmas. I'm reading now from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
Well, I'm not going to repeat what I've already said before about this text. Instead, let's begin with the point where Gabriel, the angel, approaches Mary. Verse 28 says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. At least that's how the greeting is translated in the ESV Bible and a great many other ones as well. But if you're a Roman Catholic, this verse has been translated as, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. And you've most likely been trained to pray the Hail Mary. And the idea here is that in the traditional Roman Catholic translation, Mary is full of grace. That is, grace flows out of her, and that Mary is able, therefore, to dispense grace to those who ask her for it. And that idea that grace comes from Mary has informed a great many prayers. I mean, consider that many Catholics ask Mary that she should pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. That is to say, since she is full of grace, she is not one of us sinners at all, but that out of her grace, she might pray for us when we're at the point of dying. But all of that really is a mistranslation of this text, and it's a conclusion that is now shared by all Greek grammarians. Yes, the ESV really has a good translation when it simply calls Mary a favored one. The meaning is that she is favored as a special receiver of grace. She's not a giver of grace. And please understand the difference. She doesn't give out grace at all but she did receive grace, an extraordinary grace. Now, grace, wherever we find it in the New Testament, is unmerited favor, something we haven't earned or deserved. It's a gift of God. Grace is given to sinners. It has to be given to sinners because we have deserved condemnation and wrath for our sins. But grace comes to us because of God's kindness. His his love is mercy. And that's Mary. Like all of us, she really is a sinner who needs grace. Indeed, not only does she receive grace in the form of mercy from God, but she receives grace, an additional grace, because she has been selected to bear the Christ, the Savior of the world. She's not worthy of this honor, but God selected her to receive this honor by his grace. I hope you see from this statement that while it's wrong to worship her, after all, we must worship God alone, yet we are right to honor her highly For God has honored her with an honor that has been afforded no other woman in history. It is therefore right to esteem her highly. Now, we don't make that mistake in assuming she's sinless. You see, if Mary were sinless, as some teach, then she would not need grace. I mean, the only reason she receives grace or unmerited favor is because God has chosen her. God has, out of his sovereign design, placed her in a role that has not been shared by any other woman. She wasn't worthy of this honor. No, no. It was given to her, she who is unworthy of it. It was given by grace. Now, after this greeting, she's troubled. She's upset. Why is she upset? Well, the answer is that in Scripture, she's not the only one who has ever been greeted with the words, the Lord is with you. See, in Judges 6 verse 12, an angel came to Gideon with the words, the Lord is with you. And then Gideon was called to declare war on Midian with a very small army. The same words are given to David when he wants to build a temple in Jerusalem. The words, the Lord is with you, means that God has given David a special calling to carry out a unique role. And so in the case of Mary and her being troubled, her question would have been, well then, if God is with me, what is God calling me to do? What great exploit am I called upon to perform? She's troubled. 
She's just a young virgin living in Nazareth. I mean, what great exploit is she supposed to accomplish? And then Gabriel has to tell her not to be afraid. Her role is both humble and yet it's filled with splendor. She is to have a baby. She's going to bear a son. See, on the one hand, that's all. And on the other hand, that's the most incredible mission anyone has ever had. See, if you go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 15, when the birth of John the Baptist was being announced, it is said of John that he will be great before the Lord. And then when Gabriel announces to Mary that she will give birth to a son, verse 32 says he will be great. Sounds like same thing, with the exception that in the case of the birth of Jesus, the phrase before the Lord, well, that's missing. And at first glance, that looks like the same thing with only a minor variation in the wording. John is great before the Lord and Jesus is just great. Same thing. Well, not at all. It's been pointed out by more than one Bible scholar that the term great, when it's used by itself in the Bible, is used only in reference to God. God alone, you see, is great. When it's used of a person, they're great before the Lord. That is, they're not great in and of themselves. But Mary's son, the one she will bear, this one is great in and of himself. His greatness is not limited by the phrase before the Lord, and that is staggering. But Gabriel needs to explain more. He will be called the Son of the Most High. You know, I recently had Jehovah's Witnesses at the door, and they said to me, we believe Jesus is the Son of God. And I said, no, you don't. And they were surprised to hear that, and they said, yes, we do. And I said, no, you don't. And I said to the man, do you have a son? And he said, well, yes, I do. And I said, well, is your son an antelope by chance? And he looked at me as if I were fit for a psychiatric hospital. But, but I explained, well, listen, if you have a son, don't you assume that your son will be as fully human as you are? And he said, yes. And I said, then if God has a son, don't you then assume that he will be fully God? That's the point here. He will be great. He will be the son of the most time. And what can that mean? You know, it's got to mean that God himself is about to enter into the human race clothed in human flesh. And this grace was given to Mary. It's the most astonishing grace in history. Christ has come into the world. But how will the world know unless God's people testify to the light? Jesus said, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. December has become a time of great blessing and celebration for the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. In a time when those passionate about sharing the light of God's Word join together to ensure it continues to be shared across the nation. December is critical in setting the stage for the year to come. And in 2019, Back to the Bible Canada will strive to share the light of Christ in more ways to more people than any other time in its 60-year history. Our goal is to raise $427,000 by December 31st, 2018. The task is significant, but by God's grace and the support of ministry friends and partners from coast to coast, it will happen. Join us in continuing to bring the light of Christ to our nation. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
Now I'm aware that in a sense, you and I can be called sons and daughters of God when, when we enter into a relationship with Christ. We are, as we know, upon conversion, adopted into the family of God. But that's not how Luke uses the term. You see, when Jesus was baptized by John so many years later, a voice from heaven said, and that's in Luke 3, this is my beloved son. And later on in Luke 9, when Jesus went to the mountain to pray, Moses and Elijah appeared to him. A voice came from heaven, said, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. In other words, Jesus occupies a unique place as the only son of the eternal father. He is therefore the very nature and essence of God himself. The one true God eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this grace to bear the eternal Son, this, this was given to Mary. Mark Lowry captured the magnificence of, of the Christmas story masterfully when he wrote, Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm the storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you've kissed your little baby, you have kissed the face of God. Indeed, that's exactly what Gabriel was communicating to Mary. John would be great before the Lord, but this one would be God himself, God the Son, entering into the human race through your womb. This is the grace that is yours. The contrast between these two announcements, that is, the announcement given to Elizabeth and Mary, couldn't be greater. Elizabeth does play a major role, but Mary's role is the greatest role played by any human being on earth. That is why we honor Mary. Of course, that's not all the angel says. John would pave the way for the Messiah, but this one, Mary's son, well, he would sit on David's throne. He would be the legitimate ruler of Israel, and from that throne, he would rule Israel forever. His kingdom would have no end, and the implication is that death itself would not overcome him. So let's consider another difference between the birth announcement of John and that of Jesus. When Gabriel announced the birth of John to his father Zechariah, Zechariah said, How can I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. That is to say, Zechariah thought, That's impossible. See, he had a hard time believing the announcement by the angel. And that's why Gabriel showed him a sign as to how this would be. And so for the next nine months, he's unable to speak. And in contrast, Mary says, how will this be since I am a virgin? See, Mary assumes she will instantly become pregnant. And, and since she has kept herself pure, she simply wants to know how God will accomplish this. See, whereas Zechariah doubted, Mary instantly believed. Such is the nature of this remarkable young woman. I mentioned in the past that liberal scholars in the past doubted that there really was such a place as Nazareth, and they've also doubted that Mary was a virgin. Now, I've dealt with that, but there is still in some minds a sense that the virgin birth is of no significance. I, I hear people argue that nothing changes if Mary wasn't a virgin. But of course, the integrity of Scripture is at stake. The Bible can either be trusted or it can't. But there are other things at stake as well. Let me suggest four things that matter about the virgin birth. You know, first, it matters because Christians have always confessed a virgin birth. It's in all the biblical narratives that speak about Christ's birth. And it's also in the oldest Christian confessions that we have. And that really is the problem that, that liberal Christians need to face. Liberal Christians are only Christians 
in the sense that that's how they want to call themselves, not in the sense that they belong to the community of the faith. Second, the belief in a virgin birth is important because without it, you would have no basis for a sinless Jesus. Look, Christians confess and have always confessed that the reason why Christ could go to the cross and be our sin substitute is because he was the spotless lamb, the man who knew no sin, a man who would represent us before God. But here's the problem. The Bible makes it very plain that all of us are born into sin. We are counted sinners in Adam. And furthermore, we have received Adam's nature, a sin nature. So how then could Jesus, truly human, not share in the human immersion into sin? And the answer to that question has to be that we are sinners in Adam, and he had no human father. See, Adam, according to Scripture, is the federal head of the human race. Sin entered into the world through his leadership. But Jesus did not follow Adam's leadership. He was born without Adam, so to speak. A third reason why the virgin birth is so important is that the virgin birth teaches us how it is that Jesus could be both fully human and fully divine. And then finally, fourth, the virgin birth is important because it is the fulfillment of at least two Old Testament prophecies. The first comes from Genesis 3.15. You know, in that passage, the woman Eve is promised that God would put enmity or hostility or continued warfare between her and her seed. And what's of interest is that the term seed is used, and I know the term seed is often translated as offspring, and yet to be literal, the woman, although she does have offspring, doesn't have seed. See, that passage leads us at least to consider the possibility of a miraculous birth to the woman. And whereas the prophecy in Genesis is somewhat obscure, the prophecy in Isaiah 7:14 is clear. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. And Matthew, who constantly quotes from the Old Testament, he agrees with this. He says, yes, when Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb, that fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. And so for those four reasons, the, the virgin birth is not an obscure doctrine that you can take or leave at will. It's integral to the scripture itself. And so Luke, who researched this matter, simply relates what the angel said to Mary. You will become pregnant, not by a man, but rather by the power of the Most High who will overshadow you, that this will happen through a miracle. And furthermore, this will indicate that this child is the Son of God, not a great prophet, not a great moral teacher. This is the Son of God. Of course, at that time, the doctrine of the Trinity had not yet been explained, but but at the very least, Mary would know that this one is unlike every other human being in history. And so upon hearing that this is God's plan, Mary simply submits. She bows her head and says, I am the servant of the Lord. See, unlike Moses who said, you know, send someone else. And unlike Gibeon who said, show me a sign. And unlike Jeremiah the prophet who said, I'm only a youth. This, this amazing woman says, let it be to me according to your word. You know, I think many of us have failed to appreciate the greatness of Mary, wanting not to fall into the error of calling her sinless and, and full of grace and all the other, I, I think, silly things that are done in her name. We fail to honor this remarkable servant of the Lord. Furthermore, please understand that this is the woman who was chosen to raise the Lord's Christ. She, quite frankly, is the greatest among all women. So what does Mary do when she knows she's pregnant? 
It, it does create a problem, and so she gets out of town. Mary goes from Galilee down south to Judah, visit Elizabeth, her relative, and the minute Mary's feet enter Elizabeth's home, Elizabeth feels her baby John leap in her womb. You know, mother's no normal kicking, and this wasn't it. This was an outcry of joy from a fetus. And with that, Elizabeth joins her unborn son in an act of unbridled joy. She cries out, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Indeed, I think we must agree with Elizabeth's assessment of Mary. The blessing Mary has received is greater than any woman has ever received. She is the most blessed among women. Now, Elizabeth is not worshiping Mary, and neither should we. We don't worship Mary, but we do honor her. Elizabeth recognized that as great as are the things that have happened to her, what has happened to Mary is so much greater. Elizabeth's miracle was inferior to the miracle that was done to Mary. Elizabeth's child is inferior to the child developing in Mary's womb, and Elizabeth's great role in raising John is eclipsed by Mary's role in raising Jesus. And in that, I can't help but wonder about this amazing phenomenon, the humility of this amazing woman, Elizabeth, as she calls Mary the mother of my Lord. I think all of us should follow Elizabeth's lead. That's who Mary will always be to faithful Christians. Yeah, she's a sinner in need of grace, and yes, she, with all other followers of Jesus, must take her place, bend her knee, and fall in worship of Jesus. But only she, of all the human race, bears the title, the mother of our Lord. Her place in history is unique. Why? Well, let's let Elizabeth explain it to us. Blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. John, I think it's worth of note that, you know, beside the manger scene and things of that nature, we really don't speak too much of Mary as evangelicals. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, I've mentioned the reaction that so many of us have, but I think it also comes about because we haven't really taken the time to examine this text well. I mean, you know, I mean, God comes to this, you know, young gal by the name of Mary. She is the most blessed among all women, and that's quite a title. My goodness, uh, that's an exalted title, and I think that we should speak about her uh, with a sense of honor. I mean, obviously, uh, but we don't look for her to, to pray for us. She's not full of grace, but, but grace was given to her in a degree that none of us have received. So, you know, I think we're reacting a lot, but I think we need to, you know, open our eyes, study the text again, and I think we need to gain a new appreciation for this remarkable, remarkable Christian woman. She became a Christian woman and what she has done. Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us again next week right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. If you want to enjoy a week in the Caribbean with Phil Calloway and the Laugh Again ministry team, time is almost out. If you're thinking of a week away to restore, refresh yourself personally and spiritually, this is a great vacation opportunity. Join Phil, award-winning musical artist Rika, and the Laugh Again team on the Royal Caribbean's Oasis of the Seas. What I can guarantee you is sunshine, beaches, great food, and beautiful vistas, but also fellowship, laughter, and a time of spiritual reflection and restoration. So make plans now to join Phil and the gang this February 3rd to the 10th, 2019, 
And all you need to do is check out laughagain.ca or call us directly at 1-800-663-2425 for all the information you need to register now.